Hey, good morning. Good morning here in live. We're welcoming Amped and Blend here on the Harrison Lane campus, and we're welcoming out in Rowan County. Good morning to Todd and the crew out there down in Bearden, Nate and the crew down there. Good morning to you. And if you're online and you're joining us, welcome, and we'd love to see you in person. As, as we jump in, we're going to be at the end of the book of Exodus. The, this series is coming to a close, and I'm so sad. Some of you are like, I can't wait. Let's move on to something else. Man, this is is really sad for me, but we hope that this series has built within you a desire to understand God's story at a deeper level, that you would understand God's story, not not just looking back from the New Testament into the Old Testament, but begin to look the other way. You'd begin to look at the New Testament from an Old Testament perspective, because I, I believe this more than ever. If I didn't believe it a year ago, I absolutely believe it now, that we can't rightly understand the New Testament until we understand the old. A lot of what we hold on to looking just in one direction from the New Testament to the old, we actually misunderstand. And so over the next couple of years, we're going to talk about that. All right. Don't give up. All right. We're going to be talking about there are some things that we've believed because we've only looked in one direction. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue to look from the other direction. And some of you are like, oh, no, we're going to Leviticus. Not yet. Hey, here's what we're going to see this weekend. Faith is built on Jesus' active presence in our life. That's what faith is built on. It's Jesus' active presence. Not not an idea, not a belief system. It's built on an active engagement with Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Once upon a time, if you had asked me if I had a personal relationship with Jesus, I would have said, yes, absolutely. And if you would have said, what does that look like? I would have had no idea how to tell you anything about that because I would have just said, well, I believe the right things. I believed the right group of facts. I believed that Christianity was a a belief system. If I believed the right things, I I prayed to receive Jesus in my life. I I knew that I needed a savior for my sin. And then I just, if I just believe the right things, I'm good. And I know some stuff that I've heard people teach me. And and so that I'm a Christian, right? I'm a Christian. And, And so, but do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, but it was neither personal nor a relationship. Because it's only through God's personal interaction through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us that our relationship with Jesus becomes personal and a relationship. It's the active presence of Jesus in our lives. It's not about what we know. It's not about a belief system. It's about a person and walking and following a person. So as we come to the end of Exodus, we're going to waste no time as we jump in. Faith is built on Jesus' active presence in our life because faith has always been built on the active presence of God in the life of his people. Always. Some of us have this, this misunderstanding, like there was one way in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there was a new way. That is not God's story. It is first five books of the Bible are all about God's active presence in the lives of his people. Now, it looked different then than it does now, but it was still the emphasis on God's 
active presence. And so as we come to the end of the book of Exodus, Moses has done all the work, okay? He was given plans to create sacred space, and then he built the tabernacle, and the two, two names interchangeable at this point in God's story, okay? Now the tabernacle and the tent of meeting from this point forward now mean the same thing. And as you go into the book of Leviticus, once again, not yet, as we go into the book of Leviticus, the tent of meeting, tabernacle, same thing. So it's all about preparing sacred space. It's been prepared. Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Then the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When one of you brings an offering to the Lord. And somebody like, Dave, you just tricked us. We went to Leviticus. Because the story connects. From Genesis through the book of Numbers is one continuous story. They're all connected. There's a a word, just like we talked about at the beginning of the book of Exodus. There's a word at the very beginning that your Bible translation leaves untranslated that says and or then. That it's connected right to the end of the story of Exodus. Leviticus is connected right in there. And so God has given the children of Israel sacred space. And now what happens through the book of Leviticus is over the course of, of a basically, people disagree, but about a 30-day period, God gives the children instruction on how to maintain the sacred space that they've created. As his presence came and indwelt the sacred space of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, now this is how you're going to maintain the relationship you have with me. This is how you're going to maintain sacred space. And we call it the sacrificial system. And once again, someday we'll talk about it. Here in the book of Exodus, the the story has reached the summit and it comes to the pinnacle And it says that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's the pinnacle of the book of Exodus. God moves in. The whole time we've been talking about, this is about God's presence with his people. It's about God's presence with his people. And and the language here is supposed to draw us back to the entirety of the book of Exodus. As we talk about now, once again, the cloud and the pillar of fire, they've returned. And we've talked about those before. They were how God led the children of Israel in the wilderness. And now here at Mount Sinai, it was was God's glory uh, descending on the mountain. And Moses interacted with with. God on the mountain, but last week we talked about, and God gave them now this mobile mountain called the tabernacle. They're now going to be able to take the experience that they had at Sinai on the road. They're going to be able to pack it up and take that sacred space with them as they journey through the wilderness. And what we see here is Moses can no longer go into the tent of meeting As the glory of the Lord falls upon the tabernacle, no longer can Moses enter. You see, the unfiltered presence of God is beyond our comprehension. Now, there's no perfect way to say this, okay? This isn't, 
I don't mean this to be heresy, if some of you think about that that way, but it, it's, it's just meant to, to, to remind us that, that the unfiltered presence of God is beyond human comprehension. So every time that God approaches humanity, he does it in a way that we can understand. He does it in a way that we can get. There's a filter on the glory of God because the unfiltered glory of God is beyond our comprehension. And, and, and that's because God meets us where we are. That's who he is. He's a God who meets us where we are. And he does that for the children of Israel. As the, last week we saw that they totally messed it up. They didn't even get married and they were already cheating. They, they didn't even seal the deal and they were already in adultery. They, they didn't even get a mile down the road and they're already pursuing stuff that God said don't do. But God renews that covenant and decides that he's going to marry the children of Israel anyway. And now they're going to live in, in this kind of relationship this, as they get to encounter the presence of God in a continual kind of way. All through the spring, we've been talking about this. Like we've been talking about this is about the presence of God, presence of God, presence of God. And the reason is, is not only is Exodus about the presence of God living with his people, the first five books of the Bible are about God's presence with God's people. That's what they're about. There's a guy by the name of Michael Morales. Um, he's written a book called Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord. It's actually about the book of Leviticus, but uh, the primary theme and the theology of the Pentateuch as a whole is Yahweh's opening a way for humanity to dwell in the divine presence. That's the theme of the Pentateuch. And you're like, what's the Pentateuch? Pentateuch just means five. It's the first five books. And here's something that we need to talk about. We, we can refer to the first five books of the Bible. If, if, if you're Hebrew, you're going to call them Torah. And there's a reason that if you use the Bible project, that, that they always talk about these first five books, not as the Pentateuch, as evangelicals would refer to them, but as Torah, as they would in the Hebrew Bible, because the uh, the English translation of that that we use is something called the law. But there's a problem. That word, the law, is used lots of different ways throughout Scripture. And so when we're talking about Torah, they, they're talking about the first five books of the Bible. When they talk about law, they're talking about law code. And law code can come in a couple different forms. It could be in the covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai as he gave the, the children of Israel the, the 10 words that uh, Tim talked about a few weeks ago, the 10 commandments, these 10 words of instruction and that covenant that he made. It can also refer to all of the law code that God gives through all of the, his story in, into Leviticus, into Numbers, the, all of that law code, all of the rules as we would think of it, the law could also refer to that. And then people use also the word law to refer to the books of Moses, which is the first five books. So if we just say that Jesus completed the law, you're going to ask, which law? And my answer to you is going to be, yes. Yeah, 
Jesus completed the law and is the gateway to God's active presence in our lives. And most of us just think of law as legal code. And so Jesus completed the legal code. Yes, he did that. I don't want to minimize that. He's the one who who brings that to completion. He brings it to fruition. But he does more than that. He completes Torah. He completes the first five books of the Bible are pointing us towards Jesus. And it's the reason that we have to think story. Because all of a sudden, when we see the glory of God descend on the tabernacle and move in, we're like, oh, that's a picture of what Messiah does for us in the New Testament. God has always been pointing forward to this day when Jesus would come and he would complete the books of Moses. There's a book. You can write this down. There's not a slide for this one. Uh, It's called Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. Write that down. It's a little book, okay? It's not complicated. It's a little book. But um, there's a a guy that I really respect who says that that if you want to understand the connection of Torah and and Jesus, this is it. Like if he was going to write a little summary, this is the book. It's written by some Messianic believers from from, uh, Jerusalem. and, And they write this. The purpose of the Torah is that it is a historical narrative whose purpose is to lead Israel through the broken law and beyond, namely to the Messiah, who Moses assures his reader will come in the last days. That Moses himself tells the children of Israel, here's the law, and oh, by the way, you're never going to do it. That Moses has no expectation that the children of Israel will actually keep the law. And and so the book can't be about keeping the law. The story, the first five books of the Bible, can't be about just keeping the law. If Moses is like, here's the law, and you're never going to do it. It's pointing to something more. It's pointing to something greater. And it's pointing to the indwelling presence of God coming through Messiah, through Jesus, to come to his people, to indwell his people. And so if, if we're thinking God's story right now, there's, there's part of it that we should be familiar with. If, if you've been a Christian for a little bit, you should be familiar with this story, that, that in Acts chapter 2, that, that we see the presence of God fall upon the people through the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to consider this, that, that Jesus, now the timeline of Jesus's death and resurrection, people debate that. Okay, there's, there's, there's some issues around that. Okay, not everybody agrees on the exact day, exactly the way that all goes. It's plus or minus a day or two or three. Okay, so, so plus or minus a couple days. So if you come back and you're like, hey, it's not seven days. But if you just think of it this way, big picture, if, if Jesus dies on Passover, some people believe John, the gospel, Jesus dies on Passover, raised three days later, okay, two days later. <laughs> and it has to do with timing and all that. So two days plus... 40 days, he lives on earth and he ascends. And then on the 50th day after Passover, there's something called Pentecost. 
The Penta means 50. It's the 50th day after Passover, and that's now a beginning of another festival for the children of Israel. And in that meeting where there's a group of his believers who have gathered together, he said, wait until I send the helper. Wait. You'll know it when you know it. Like, you're going to know that, that something has happened. They're waiting. And on day 50, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Holy Spirit comes. So some, somewhere between seven and ten days, somewhere between seven and ten days after Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word there, tongues, is languages. These are known languages. Really important that you would know that. These are known languages. There's another opportunity to talk about the gift of tongues that Paul talks about later in the New Testament that is not this. This is not unknown languages. This is known languages. This is that as they go out into the community, they begin to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in all the native tongues, in the heart languages of all the people, and they begin to respond in faith. And we see that, that on that day, as the Spirit is poured out, the, churches, the church launches with 3,000 people coming to faith on day one. Anybody who's like, I, I like little churches. I don't want to be part of a big church. Day one, 3,000 people. Bam. All right? Mega church, born. All right? That is not a modern invention. That's the launch of the church. 3,000 believers. Day one, spirit of God. It was amazing. And so this should not be, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should not be new news to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to let you in on the secret. When you confess faith and the Holy Spirit regenerates you and gives you new life, he moves in. And you become indwelt. You become a possessed person. And that's scary, but it's true. You become possessed by the God who made you to live in relationship. And, and the active presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in you begins to guide you in what it means to follow Jesus in reality. Not just in theory, not just to believe in some stuff, but to follow a person. I said, there's a day and time where I, if you said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I would say, yeah. And you said, what makes it personal? I'd been like, I don't know. I have no idea. It's when I began to recognize that Jesus was a resurrected person to be followed. Jesus is a Jewish man. Some of you are like, what? What are you saying? Jesus did not become a Christian. Do you know this? Jesus isn't a Christian. Some of you are like, that's shocking. That's heresy, surely. He is the Christ. And the word Christian means little Christ. And so it's impossible for Jesus to be a Christian because he is the Christ. He can't be a little miniature version of himself. He is the God man. He is a Jewish man who is still alive. And 
all of a sudden I recognized that he was a man to be followed. Oh, how do we do that? And I began to discover that he's given his indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit, to lead us. And, and it's not just through scripture. Yeah, it's absolutely through scripture. But it's also through the active presence of Jesus in us, leading us in what it looks like to follow. This has always been the way it was supposed to be. This is what he does. So in John chapter 16, Jesus told his followers that it was going to be to their advantage that he was going to go away. It's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send a helper. And it's a long teaching beginning in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. He's teaching them over and over again that, that he's going to leave, but he's sending the helper, he says, the Holy Spirit to come. It's to your advantage that I go away. In other words, he's saying it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have me present in the room with you. Okay, so that's the context. But if we back up in John chapter 14, he said this to them. These things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. What does it mean to bring to your remembrance? It means he's going to bring to mind that this is going to be something that happens in your mind. And there's Bible teachers out there. Listen to a guy a couple weeks ago. He wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and he does not believe in the active communication of the Holy Spirit to you in a personal kind of way. The only way the Holy Spirit communicates to you is through the Bible. And who's going to buy a book on the Holy Spirit from a guy who believes the only way the Holy Spirit can communicate to you is through the Bible? That doesn't even make logical sense. God is now handcuffed. The only thing he can do is bring to remembrance something out of the Bible. No, he's going to connect the story. The things that you know about Scripture and the things that are happening in your world, he's going to begin to connect them together. And so you know I'm a Bible guy, right? We need to fill our minds with God's word. We need to fill our minds with Scripture, absolutely, because we give the Holy Spirit material to work with. Once again, I don't mean that heretical in any sort of way. We give him some material to work with. He can bring some stuff to mind from the word of God as we fill it in there. But he also leads us in a very personal kind of way through his indwelling presence in us to, to teach us what it looks like to really follow Jesus. You see, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit so we can really follow him. God gave his active presence to the children of Israel so they could really follow him. God gives us his active presence in our lives so we can really follow him. There's a family that um, seven years ago, they, they moved from here to Germany. And on that journey, um, they're going to share with us a little bit about what that looked like for them to respond to what it was that God was telling them in the midst of that moment and kind of what they're up to right now. And so I want you not to hear from me what this looks like, but I want you to hear from the Birchfields what this looks like. I want you to go ahead and listen to this. The, the story really did start... Um, with our first service at Two Rivers full-time. And they played a video on Berlin, and it was the Reach Global team, and 
And something in me in that moment just broke and there was no plan to become a missionary. Um, but God really did take this country that I never even wanted to visit to this thought of we're, we're gonna be living there in the next five years. I didn't wanna go. He came to me, he came home and said, hey, I think the Lord's gonna be moving us to Germany. And I said, no, we're not, I don't wanna go. It's cold and it's dark and I don't wanna be there. And so I sat down with the Lord and basically said, you know all the languages of the world and I don't, and I don't know a single word in German. Would you just say something to me in German just to confirm this is where we're supposed to be? I heard this word tschüss the other day and it says it means to say good, like that's how you say goodbye to friends and family. What do you think that means? And he said, I think you need to say goodbye to your friends and family. <laughs> so um, that kind of started my journey of walking forward going, okay, I think this is where the Lord wants us. So. We, we think at times maybe there's a cultural gap, but we have German friends who are Christians and they've told us seven, eight years before neighbors across the hall will come in for coffee. There's just this deep level of mistrust there. and. And so, but that's, that's been our life in Berlin of slowly, intentionally being present, building relationships. We do life with them. We have neighbors. I have a friend that we get together and she loves to laugh. And that's what we do. We get together and we laugh. We joke about all the things in life. And then we start talking about serious stuff. It took five years for her to share with me her background and her life. It was a really private thing. And it, it was like that barrier had been taken down. And then they started telling us all the things in life. And we walked through them with grief and with other things. And, but it just takes that time to get to that point. People were telling us about struggles at work. They were telling us about, uh, about drug addictions. And they were telling us about relational issues. We're able to bridge the gap because we can truly go where the gospel's not yet known. I mean, discipleship is just, it's about doing life with people. It's being with people through all the things in life. And how do you live out life with Jesus in all the stages of life? I'm smiling a little bit. Our, <clears throat> at the beginning of this journey, our, what would be our future team leader, he sent us this, this article and it was a thick article on discipleship. And, and Denise read through it and I came home that evening and she said, this is discipleship? And I was like, yeah? And, and she said, we've been doing this. This is just doing life with people. And, and, and I said, yeah, what did you think it was? And, and she said, honestly, I thought it was a program at Lifeway. <laughs> and it, it, it was in that moment that my eyes were open, like anybody can do discipleship. You don't have to have this special thing. There's, it's just being with people. And they're watching you live out your life in Christ. And, you're watching them and you're doing this together and you're learning and, and that's discipleship. Yeah. And we really appreciate the support that everyone in Two Rivers has given us so far. Um, I think our teammates actually are jealous of our support sometimes because we have people who just really genuinely love us. And whether it is financial or it's prayer or it's calling us and asking us how we're doing or coming to see us, um, we have support like most people on our team may not have. and. Um, we always are looking for more support. So we're always looking for people who will come visit us or pray for our city or support us financially. We need all of these things. Um, any way that the Lord may be moving on someone's heart to join in what God's doing in Berlin, which is some pretty amazing work, then we would be excited to have it. But if you're as excited about what God's doing in Berlin, in Berlin or Germany as we are, then definitely reach out to us. <laughs>
So uh, I want to encourage you that if, if you are currently, uh, either the group you're in or personally as a family, if you're not currently partnered with somebody in the global world personally, I want to encourage you in the middle of your bulletin to reach out to the Birchfields. That we as a church, that we're their sending church, we're, that we are supporting them, but, but they're also, they're home here for a mandatory year because of government stuff, but they're, they're home for a year. And part of that to be productive is to look for partners, people that will support them. And so if you're not currently, and maybe it's not financial, but it definitely could be financial, I want to encourage you to reach out to them. But, but here's the thing, okay? I, and here's what I, I want to encourage you with, that that what we're talking about here isn't that, that you would hear God and move to the other side of the world. Now, maybe you would, okay? If, if God calls you to be a missionary, by all means, do it, okay? Now, here, you're going to hear other people say that, that we're all missionaries, and that is not true. That By definition, that is not true. Preachers like to say that. Hey, we're all missionaries in our neighborhoods. That is not true. You are not a missionary, okay? Just like, that's like saying, well, we're all pastors. We're not all pastors. That's a, that's a leadership position in the local church. But we're all followers of Christ. We're all disciples. That is true. And that means that we're all supposed to be actively engaged in some type of disciple making, in relationship with other people as the active presence of Jesus leads us in the transformation of who we are to look more and more like little Jesuses. To be image bearers of Christ in the world. That's something we're all called to. You see, we're all disciples. That's true. Now, you may be a bad disciple. You may be a good disciple. Some of you are like... <gasps> That's just true, okay? Some of us are great followers. Some of us are terrible followers. But we're all followers. If you have new life in Christ, you are a follower of Christ. Even if you're not doing a great job following, you are a disciple. That's by definition. A disciple is a follower. And every single one of us has been given the active presence of Jesus in us that we can follow Jesus as disciples and join in some way, shape, or form in helping someone else continue on that journey. So, so as we walk into our workspace, into our school, as we walk around the block on Monday morning, we're paying attention to the active presence of Jesus in our lives. That we're paying attention to what it is that he's leading us to. We're paying attention to the way that he's guiding us. We're paying attention to how he's, he's working in the world around us. That's, that is an every follower activity. We're all invited in to that. You see, that's a life of faith. And faith is built on the active presence of Jesus in our lives. So what does that look like for you? And, and I want to encourage you. Here's some tips. For some of you, this is old news. For some of you, it's maybe the first time you've heard this. And we're maybe on a spectrum all the way. Some of you have been doing this for years. Some of you have never actually paid attention. And this week, God took me back to, to when I first started going, What? I think God is actually communicating to me, not only through bringing scripture to mind, but in an active kind of way. In the midst of my day, he's bringing things to my mind that is going, okay, maybe you need to stop here. Maybe you need to pay attention there. That he's actively engaged in my life. And so here's some tips for what it looks like to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. First of all, it begins with wanting to be led. 
Following the Holy Spirit's guidance begins with wanting to be led. If you don't want to be led, don't expect that God's going to break through and he's going to go, he's going to force you, okay? It begins with saying, God, I want to be led by you. I want to learn what it looks like to be led by you. Second, learning learning to follow is a process over time. God's not expecting that you're going to figure this out this afternoon. It's the reason that we do things like quiet waters, where we come together, where we join together, where we practice listening in community and individually to God. And so if you're like, okay, I want to practice, go to 2rc.tv slash quiet waters and sign up. And what's it look like for me to practice listening to God? It's a process. But fear of a misstep can keep you from taking a step. You can be frozen because you might be afraid. What if that isn't God and that's me? What if this thing that's going through my mind right now isn't the Holy Spirit? It's just a thought that I'm having. And if I act on it, I might make a mistake. It will keep you frozen. And you may ask yourself this question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And that's the wrong question. I'm going to let you in on some encouragement. None of us have what it takes. None of us have what it takes. Because God doesn't expect for us to have what it takes before he begins to communicate with us and use it. He's just, or use us. He's just looking for us to be people who will respond with a yes. He's just looking for us to be people who pay attention. And when he's guiding us into something, we'll be like, yeah, I'll do that. He's not looking for you to figure it out first. He's going to teach you on the way. It's, it's on-the-job training. So you be like, I don't like on-the-job training. I want to know the job, then I'll do the job. Not how God works. He's not going to let you in on the full story. It's going to begin with you wanting to be led and then jumping in and knowing it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to make a mistake. Because Jesus is not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to follow. Jesus is calling you to follow, not to be perfect. He's calling you to follow, not to be perfect. And that means you need to begin to experiment with this. You need to begin to go, okay, I I need to actually begin to engage with this. Maybe with some other people in your lives. What does it look like for us to start paying attention to the active presence of Jesus in our life as we start to look at the world around us? And as I walk into my school or my workplace or once again around the block on Monday morning, I'm actually going, okay, wait, Jesus, what do you have for that person in the cubicle next to me today? Is there some way, shape, or form that I might encourage them? And this is why we do it the live it out every day because it's a primer. It's priming the pump. We begin to ask Jesus questions. What does that look like for us to respond to you in faith. You see, we have free access to the presence of God in our lives. We have free access to the presence of God in our lives. The presence and the glory of God that descended upon the tabernacle and filled it is is freely available to you. For those who have new life in Christ, that presence lives in you. You have free access. But many of us don't tap the access. We don't, we're not tapping into the fact that the glory of God, the presence of God has moved in. And so as we think about uh, today, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask you to think about this maybe in a way you never have before. And this is looking at 
the New Testament through the lens of the old. It's looking at the cross from an Old Testament perspective. Jesus did this as he went to the cross, as he, as he traded his body for your body, as he traded his blood for your blood, as he, as he traded his life for your life, as he, as he did that, he created sacred space. He made you a new creation in order that the Holy Spirit would move in. This is so good. It's better than you think. It's like he told us this. It's the tabernacle. It's the thing that he's been saying. Like, it's going to go from the people being led collectively by my presence to you being led collectively as a church, but also individually as you become the sacred space that my presence moves into. All that in this. And so in all of our venues, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the fact that we have new life in Christ and that God has created sacred space in order that the Holy Spirit can move in and actively lead us in our lives. I'm going to pray for us. And then in all of our venues, your venue pastor is going to come and lead you through communion. Father, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the gift that you've given us of your active presence in our lives, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful that you're a God who's looking to lead us in reality, to, to lead us in following Jesus in an active kind of way. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.